You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, FanRock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. FanRock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. Happy Monday and happy Fantasy Week 8. Yes, I had to think about that for a second. Fantasy Week 8 already. Uh, I'm Al Melker, your host. And with me a little later on in the show is Liz Rocher from Big League Stew over at Yahoo Sports. And when I've got Liz on the show, it usually means we're going to talk some Phillies. So, in fact, we are lots to talk about there with the Phillies, particularly with the kids in the minors. A lot of people rooting for Reese Hoskins to get a call up. Uh, we'll certainly talk to Liz about that possibility and much, much more. But of course, before any of that, we've got to get to the news. And uh, just within the hour, the Angels have demoted CJ Crone to AAA. So not really a very long stay up uh, in the majors for Crone uh, this time. Uh, back down to AAA, so that means uh, more playing time for Luis Valbuena and uh, Jeffrey Marte at the corners. Uh, so, uh, yeah, don't start Crone this week in those those deeper leagues. And if you were worried about starting Carlos Santana because of the interleague series uh, with um, the Reds in Cincinnati, well, uh, Terry Francona has found a way to get, uh, get uh, Santana back in the lineup so he will be playing in right field uh, for the Indians So uh, and, and hitting cleanup as well. And Josh Tomlin will be batting ninth. And the Indians' uh, social media account just tweeted out that uh, Tomlin is a career 429 batter, for that's worth. Josh Donaldson is set to begin a rehab stint today. So maybe at long last, uh, we'll have Josh Donaldson back in our lineup soon, although um, I'm still keeping him. Benched in my leagues uh, for, for this week, but uh, at least he's moving in the right direction. Of course, Donaldson's been out with the calf injury. Joe Ross is going to be summoned back up to D.C. to start for the Nationals on Tuesday. So uh, Joe Ross back in action there. Phil Hughes, going to the, in fact, has already gone to the DL. He's got a stiff right shoulder. Uh, the Dodgers have demoted Julio Urias to AAA. Uh, that I could see that one coming. I'm sure uh, you all could too, because Kent Maeda is set to come off the DL uh, and start Thursday against the Cardinals. Somehow they had to make room, and Urias had not really been very effective, and particularly in his most recent start against the Marlins. So he's back down in the minors. I'm sure we'll see him again later on uh, in the season. And if you're holding on to him in any sort of deep seasonal format, and of course in any kind of dynasty league, you do not want to drop Urias, even though he's off to a rough start so far this year. Taiwan Walker to the designated, or to the disabled list rather, with a blister. And uh, Eric Thames exited Sunday's game early uh, with leg cramps. So there'll be much, much more to get to. So stick around. We'll be right back with more news and more player analysis.
Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm the host, Al Melchior. And as I mentioned in the first segment, a little bit later on, next segment to be exact, we'll be joined by Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports to talk about the Phillies, the major league scene, the minor league scene there. A lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to get to more news and some hitter performances from Sunday. But before we get to any of that, need to get to a little bit of talk here be- uh, about the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Because you can now take the world's premier 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you wherever you go. Download the Fantasy Sports Radio app now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill. You can hear Benny Riccardi in the car or Greg Sussman on the subway. You can relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Steely when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fancy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. Uh, you can also take some of this Mariners information with you as you try to figure out your plans for the next week or two. Uh, this won't affect this week. But James Paxton is on target to make his return May 31st, so in week nine against the Rockies at home. So it looks like he's just got one more rehab start to make. That is going to be a welcome sight uh, for many of us fantasy owners. Uh, James Paxton looking like he'll be back next week, not this week. Also, uh, Danny Valencia, he uh, sustained a wrist injury sliding uh, into it was second base on Sunday. Uh, the MRI revealed that uh, he did not break any bones, and he is not going to require a DL, DL stint. And uh, so that would explain another Mariners move, which is that they had just brought up Dan Vogelbach, and tomorrow he is going to get sent back down to AAA. Uh, also on Tuesday, Robinson Cano is expected to be activated, and Mike Zunino expected to be back for the Mariners. So in some deep leagues, that gives you another catcher possibility. And Chris Heston also being shipped back to AAA Tacoma after a not-so-good start on Sunday. So lots of moves there for the Mariners. And wait, there's more. Uh, They are planning to start Nelson Cruz in the field, just like we talked about before the break. Carlos Santana playing in right field to get his bat in the lineup uh, in the National League Park. Nelson Cruz going to start uh, at Washington in right field tomorrow. So if you're trying to make some weekly league decisions, it's it's hard to take Nelson Cruz out of your lineup. If you need some reassurance, that should uh, I think that should be providing it for you. And in some welcome prospect news, the uh, Yankees have promoted Glaber Torres. Nope, not all the way to the Bronx, but to AAA Scranton Wilkes Bar. So one step closer, Glaber Torres. And I remember that there was little bit of controversy back in March when we were drafting because a lot of people were really uh, almost aggressively taking a flyer on Torres in some drafts. And uh, I remember seeing commentary in some places online, you know, about how that was, that was a foolish move and we weren't going to see Torres in the majors uh, this year. And if we did, it probably was going to be till September, but it's one step away now. So, uh, you know, that, that's uh, interesting, inter- excuse me, an interesting situation to watch. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's uh, check in with Roto Grinders' Kevin Roth and the weather as we do every show for the most part 
doesn't look like you have too much to worry about in tonight's nine-game slate. But there are two games uh, that you should keep an eye on as we get closer to game time. Pirates at the Braves. That's a 7.35 start at SunTrust Park. The precipitation chance is 48% for game time and actually does increase as the night goes on. So that is uh, certainly one to watch. And then the Giants at the Cubs at Wrigley with an 8.05 p.m. Eastern start. 30% chance of precip to start the game, also with increasing chance as the night goes on. So, uh, you know, it's a nine-game slate, and that may constrict your choices even a little bit more, depending on how things develop throughout the afternoon and evening. So definitely keep an eye on, on those situations. But let's direct our attention back to Sunday's games. A uh, number of notable performances. We'll start with the hitters. And we'll start with Sal Perez, because really hard to top his performance. Granted, he got two games to do it in a doubleheader at Minnesota. But he had a uh, one-homer game followed by a two-homer game. So three homers yesterday for Sal Perez and eight at-bats. He now has 11 on the season. And I doubt that there has been a time since I started this show back this past winter where I would discuss Sal Perez and not bring up the fact that he has this escalating fly ball rate and escalating pull rate. And so I probably had more negative to say about Salvador Perez, the, the positive. And, and of course, you know, you, you could look at that at least one of two ways because uh, with all the extra fly balls and, and the, uh, frequent pulling of those fly balls, there's, there's going to be more power most likely. And, you know, we love that in fantasy. We, we love the home run, but it's, it has been last few seasons, a real drag on his batting average, but it hasn't worked out that way at all this year. Um, he's shown so much power that, um, you know, it's really, it, it's uh, elevated every part of his game. So now, you know, not only has the 11 home runs, but, um, you know, a, a decent batting average uh, to, to go with that. So, but the, <laughs> the trend has actually gotten even more extreme. He has a fly ball rate of 54%. Salvador Perez, a 54% fly ball rate. And the pull rate, 62%. I mean, I don't know that I've seen a pull rate that high. I know Brian Dozier has had rates right around 60%, but for an everyday player, I don't recall seeing a rate that high. I'm sure maybe somebody out there could look it up or, or has seen a, a rate higher, but that is very extreme. But he's also hitting with a lot more authority. So, you know, not only are the home runs, you know, helping his average, obviously compensating for, you know, whatever outs he makes with balls in play. But, um, you know, it's not like he's got some crazy high BABIP. He's actually got a slightly below average BABIP. So in other words, everything Perez is doing as extreme as it is could theoretically be sustainable. Um, that said, Perez uh, pretty much perennially drops off in the second half uh, in Tout Wars. I actually traded him a couple weeks ago, partly in anticipation of the late season drop off and also partly for the reasons I've talked about in the past that I was worried about the batting average and the on-base percentage in, in Tout Wars as an OBP league. So, um, yeah, I'll admit I'm having a little bit of seller's remorse at this point, but I, I do think that, you know, in the near future, it's not a bad time to test the market with Perez. In fact, right now might not be a bad time to test the market. Now that he's just hit a whole bunch of home runs. Chris Bryant 
also prolific in the home run department. He hit two of them against the Brewers on Sunday, so he now has 10 for the season. Three for three, and that takes his batting average up to 303. Nothing really to see there because we know that Chris Bryant is awesome. G- DJ LeMayhew went four for five with a home run. That was just his second home run of the year, and it's not like we expect LeMayhew to be a, a big-time home run hitter, but he did see a little bit of a surge of power last year, and he's hitting 299 again. Can't really complain about that, but it's a little bit down from last year when he won the NL batting title. And it turns out those things are a little bit connected. The slight lag in the home run pace and the lag in the batting average because LeMahieu's exit velocity is down this year. And he's hit only three barrels. So uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that's the stat cast stat that uh, basically classifies balls that are in that sweet spot in terms of the launch angle and the exit velocity uh, that, you know, makes it ripe for a home run or an extra base hit. And he has three of them so far this year. Now we're a little bit more than one fourth through the season. So that puts him less than half on last year's pace. So while the other things, the batting average, the home run, yeah, looks like maybe just a little off, maybe it could be corrected. He's way behind his barrel pace for 2016. He had 24 of them last year. So that is not a great sign for LeMahieu. Not that I would bench him or anything, but it definitely puts him on my watch list. Andrelton Simmons was somebody who started off this year with a bit of a power surge. Uh, and he got back in the home run column on, uh, column on Sunday, hit his fourth home run, went two for six, also hit a double. That was against the Mets. And Simmons does have his highest pull rate since 2013, which was that power breakout year that he had where he hit 17 and kind of set the set the bar for himself that he's not really been able to get to six. But, um, you know, now with four home runs, he's just off that pace. But he only has one barrel so far this year. So I would color myself skeptical <laughs> for uh, Andrewton Simmons in terms of uh, him having a big power year at this point. And Devin Travis, two for three with his second home run. He is on fire. He's got a seven-game hit streak. Six of those seven games are multi-hit games. He's batting 536 with eight doubles to go with the home run uh, over that streak. So hitting a lot of line drives. Maybe won't get necessarily home run power from from Travis, but uh, hitting well. Anyway, we'll be back with more uh, standouts later. But first, Liz Rocher will be with us, so don't go away. You're going to want to stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me today, as promised, from Big League Stew over at Yahoo Sports, Liz Rocher. Liz, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Al. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, always good to have you on and, and good to talk about the Phillies because there's there's a lot going on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know people people want to know about the uh, the prospects, so... You know, actually, it's sort of a combined deal, right? Because, I mean, they, you know, they've, they've actually been hitting well as a team. Uh, so you can't really talk about bringing up the prospects without also talking about some of the, the regulars that they have there. Uh, but let's start with Aaron Altair, because it certainly seems like he's cementing a place for himself. 
what do you see as the long range view for him? Uh, you know, as the season wears on and and prospects are called up. I think it's sort of up to him where he ends up. Um, you know, he he hit super well up until like about a week ago. Um, like over the past week, he's hit like 200. So I feel like he needs to decide what kind of player he is, and that's just going to take more time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the Phillies have anything, almost anything set in stone right now with almost any player. So at least in the majors right now. So I think anything can happen. He could cement himself a place, or if he's good enough, he could find himself on his way out of town. Uh, so the, the better he plays, perhaps, the less chance there is of him being a Philly. Or am I putting words That's in That's certainly mind? possible. <laughs> Maybe. That's certainly po- I mean, no, I mean, like I said, anything is possible. If he's good enough and someone wants him, you know, and the Phillies might, I mean, the Phillies might end up having enough guys in the outfield and to sit on the bench eventually. So yeah. they may not need him. Yeah, and again, that was how he started out. Uh, it was just... Uh, you know, the injury to Kendrick that they gave him the opportunity. Uh, how about Odubel Herrera? Because he's certainly been off of his pace from the first two seasons. Um, do you think he's, now you kind of, you know, I think answered the question in advance because you said, you know, nothing's really set in stone, but he seemed to be one of the, you know, more, I guess, stable players in terms of having a role. Uh, do you think that's changed now? I don't think so, because as much as anything can happen, the Phillies haven't seemed quick to make decisions about anyone. They want to make sure everyone has enough time to do what they could possibly do, because they know that they're not going to compete this year. So why, you know, why rush some, why rush anything, really? So I, I think, you know, he, he'll be given a chance to do better. You know, that's not to say he might not move or play another position eventually. Um, but he'll definitely be given a chance to succeed. Now he actually, I'm trying to, cause I think when they picked him up, I think he initially, I know he was a middle infielder. I'm trying to remember if it was second or short. I think it was short. Um, I don't know if that's still a possibility for him or not, but that's something I ha- actually hadn't even really thought about up until just now. Oh, I don't think they'd move him back. He's been really great in center field all year. I mean, something that's not in question is his defense. Yeah. So it's really just, you know, his performance at the plate, which is making everybody question him. But, you know, as far as changing him out right now, that's, I don't think that would happen. He's too good out there. All right. Well, I've got him in a few leagues. So that's, that's reassuring to me to know. Uh, Now we haven't really heard a whole lot from Michael Saunders. It's, you know, he's not been, super productive so far. And of course, Howie Kendrick's been on the DL almost the whole season. Uh, do you think that those will be players that get flipped? Um, or do you think that they could you know, wind up being in bench roles or, uh, you know, what's the future hold for them most likely? I mean, Michael Saunders is playing so much because Howie Kendrick is injured. You know, I, I don't necessarily, I think they've been trying to play Saunders a lot because I, Pete McCannon has said that, he has faith in Saunders. He knows he's a better hitter than he's been showing. Um, but, you know, I think he's playing more than he normally would, just like Aaron Alterez. Um, so, I mean, it's, Saunders has been just so bad, though. I mean, they're, they're sending him out there. He's just been terrible. Um, so, I mean, if he could play less here or somewhere else, I'd be happy with that. Um, I don't think they're, they're committed to either keeping 
Saunders or Kendrick. I think they can let them go or trade them at will. Okay. I think they the money that they're paying them isn't very much, all things considered. It's, I'm trying to think. I think it's like $8 million for Saunders and... You see, I don't remember how much they're paying Howie Kendrick this year, but I mean, it's it's money that they don't really care about because it's just for a year. Yeah. So I think they can let them go. They're not married to either. Okay. Well, you know, I know people people are you know they're clamoring for Reese Hoskins, and we'll get to him in a moment. But <laughs> you know, if, if if you're not keeping day to day tabs on what's going on, Dylan Cousins is is really starting to heat up. He's hitting 300 with seven home runs in May. And Roman Quinn has been, you know, sort of steadily providing the stolen bases, which is what you expect from him. Uh, I know Nick Williams was somebody, you know, maybe in some deeper leagues that people were speculating on. He, he's not had as good of a season as the other two. But, I mean, they've got a minor league outfield that, you know, I think people would be excited to see all three of them in the majors this year. Um, so, you know, you've already kind of set the stage here, Liz, by talking about how, you know, nobody's really cemented into a role there. So how soon do you think we see any of those three? I think it'll be a while. They're not in the mood to rush anyone. The The team at Lehigh Valley is, you know, really doing well. Um, you know, and aside from the constant changes in pitching, which have, you know, been necessitated by injuries, I think they just want to continue to let, you know, at least those guys develop. And Quinn has been up. Uh, he was up at the end of last year. Um, but I don't think they're in a rush to bring him back up. I think they want to give everyone more time at AAA because they're, I mean, they're still relatively new to it. Yeah. I know Cousins is. I'm trying to remember when, when, uh, when Quinn was brought up, but. Yeah. And then Cousins, you know, clearly had a, uh, you know, an adjustment period. He had just a, a, a dismal April where he struck out, I think, close to half the time, but he's brought those strikeouts mm. down. So that's really encouraging. And plus, you know, the, the move from Redding to Lehigh Valley in terms of, you know, going from a stadium with just a crazy park factor for hitters to one that's, you know, much, much more neutral. Um, it's, it's encouraging to me to see particularly Cousins and Quinn uh, doing well, you know, in, in that ballpark. Yeah. And of course, Reese Hoskins, it's like he's still in Reading, uh, so he's putting up crazy <laughs> numbers. And it seems like the roadblock there for him is greater than for any of the outfielders. Uh, I mean, is that fair, or do you think uh, Tommy Joseph is somebody they could you know, trade pretty easily? Or, or you know, what's uh, you know, how's how's you see that playing out? I, I don't think they're going to bring Hoskins up anytime soon. They, you, I mean, you just bummed out a lot of listeners. I think I know I did. I bummed out a lot of people. And you, know, the Phillies, the Phillies could prove me wrong. It's happened before. I'm sure almost everything I've said is going to be wrong at some point. But I, I just don't see it. They are not in a rush to bring anybody from down there up to the majors. I cannot stress that enough. From what I can tell, they, they're not in a rush to move anybody up. You know, they, the pitchers notwithstanding position players, they would like to keep them there together as long as possible. Um, and Tommy Joseph has not played himself out of a role. He is Hardly, the starting yeah. first baseman. No, I mean, he's gotten really hot over the past week, maybe week plus, And, you know, he spent less than a, I think he's approaching a full season in the majors, but he hasn't been a full-time player. You know, he's been a full-time player for a, a month and a half. You know, he, he, doesn't just need but deserves more time to become better. 
because that bet doesn't just benefit the Phillies, you know, and him, you know, it benefits because he can either stay or they can trade him, you know, but he needs to become a, a, a mature, more mature player to do that. And I think so it's going to benefit yeah. everybody to keep everyone where they are right now. I know that sucks and it's boring and the Phillies <laughs> are really terrible. And believe me, I watch them every day. I know, but I mean, just have faith that it's all, everyone is going to come up when they're ready. It's just not going to be now. All right. No, yeah, no, no recalls before their time. So, well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Liz, and you know, I'd be tempted to just skip the pitching situation entirely, but I don't think that's fair. So uh, at least Aaron Nola's back. He had a, a very nice start on Sunday. Uh, oh, but Vince God. Velasquez, uh, out of a, I think, frustrating, disappointing rotation, has been probably the most disappointing, frustrating pitcher there. And I know we had a little bit of you know, discussion on, online you know, earlier today. And you know, I mentioned that he's, he's throwing strikes. And yet he's still got this crazy high walk rate. So uh I don't know if you, you own Velasquez in any leagues. Uh, I, I think he's droppable. Uh, would you, you're, you're probably more frustrated with him than most, I would think, but would you, could you see yourself? Dropping I, Velasquez? I might. Absolutely. I, I don't know. I mean, I probably would have been the type of person to pick him up in the first place, but I didn't. And um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'd hang on to him. I mean, Bob McClure, the pitching coach has a lot of faith in him. And I have to say I do too. Um, they want to keep him in the rotation. I personally don't know if I'd keep him in the majors. I would send him down to get his head right for a little while and face, you know, easier, easier hitters and get his confidence back, but they're going to keep him up. Um, and I think he'll figure out eventually. I just don't know if that's something that's valuable for fantasy in any way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we, we got to wrap up here, Liz. And so I think, but one last Phillies related note before we do go, do you see who's starting at second base today for the Tampa Bay Rays and batting ninth? I don't. Mini Mart. Oh my God! I forgot <laughs> he, was tra- he picked up by the Rays. Oh, yep. Wow. So, well, Liz, we gotta <laughs> go. So, thank you so much for joining us. All right, folks, stick or, stick around. We'll be right back. back everybody you are listening to fan rag fantasy baseball i'm your host alan melchior and thanks again to liz rocher from big league stew over at yahoo sports always great phillies information and just great information in general from liz and i hope uh can have her back on the show again a little later on in the season uh now before we get back to reviewing some of the sunday performances let me tell you about the RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge In-Season Fantasy Baseball Package. It's your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto scientist. They will help you set the ideal lineups every single week. And this season, you will also get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, powered by InsideInjuries.com. So get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring to the top of the standings. Enter the promo code FREERADIO at the checkout to get a special discount. All right, so just before we had Liz on, I, I want to just 
reiterate this this one, this little note about Devin Travis, because as I mentioned, he's on a seven-game hit streak with six multiple hit games in that streak, eight doubles. What I don't think I mentioned is that he was hitting a ton of doubles before that. So he has 16 doubles now, seven weeks into the season. I mean, that is unbelievable. Um, I don't think he'll keep that up. I don't think he's going to be on a 60-plus doubles pace. But uh, it, again, speaks to the line-drive approach that Travis uses and uh, his ability to make contact. So if you're looking for power, uh, home run power anyway, I don't think Travis is your guy. But in terms of batting average, run production, uh, in a points league, lots and lots of doubles, I think he's got some unappreciated appeal. Uh, Andrew Benintendi, he stole two bases at the A's. I think this is this is significant in two ways. And one, because that takes him up to five steals and puts him on the outside of a 20 stolen base pace, which is pretty cool. Uh, but those were two of just four steals against the A's in that game, all of them off of the battery of Andrew Triggs and Josh Fegley. And whenever I see a big game like that where a team steals four or five for more bases in a game, I look at the battery and and just immediately start judging the catcher. I know it's, it's very unfair and kind of mean, but that's what I do. And then I looked up Fegley's numbers, and he actually, prior to this game, had been just fine. In fact, he'd been very good in throwing out potential base stealers. Andrew Triggs, on the other hand, is now allowed nine stolen bases, and that ties him for third with Garrett Cole, and number one on that list, I'm trying to remember now. It, remember, it was a Pirates pitcher. It may be Chad Cool. I shouldn't say because I don't remember for sure. But the point was, two of the top four in that category uh, are pitchers that have a catcher that is notoriously bad at throwing up base stealers. That's not the case uh, with Triggs, whether it's uh, Fegley or, or uh, John Jaso. So I said not John Jay. So um, ah, the uh, the A's catcher. I can't believe I am absolutely blanking on him. So I'm going to move ahead, and I'm sure it will come to me at you know sometime at like four in the morning. Uh, but anyway, Stephen Vote, John Jay. So what was I saying? Anyway, um, so the point is that this this appears to be on Triggs. So that's just something to keep in mind for daily lineups when Triggs takes the mound. That maybe. Uh, you know, your, your speedy guys need to get in the lineup that day. All right, Tim Anderson. He's on a little bit of a power surge. He went three for four, hit his fifth home run of the season at the Mariners on Sunday, and that is his third home run in the last six games. And I remember looking at Anderson's stat line about a week ago and saying, oh, what a disappointment. I thought this guy maybe could be 20-20, and there's really not been much power there. So he's made up for that very, very quickly. Uh, Chad Pinder, getting back to the A's now, uh, in that game against the Red Sox, he went two for four with his fifth home run and also hit a double. Now, that's pretty incredible when you consider that Pinder has not played a whole much. Now, he started four games in a row. Yonder Alonso's been out, and uh, so they've shifted uh, Ryan Healy over to first base. Pinder has DH'd at least a couple of those games. But um, not a lot of playing time on the whole for Pinder, but when he's had the opportunity, he's really made the most of it. And he has, this is incredible, and again, it's a small sample, but a 388 ISO. 
and he's doing it the Salvador Perez way. He has a 64% fly ball rate. That's actually 10 points higher, even higher than Salvador Perez's. And I'm sure that with more playing time, that'll wash out somewhat. But Chad Pinder is clearly going for the power and getting it, and it'll be fun and interesting to see what happens with uh, Pinder's playing time going forward. Alex Bregman, to now highlight a couple of hitters who have been somewhat disappointing. Alex Bregman homered on Sunday, but that was just his second of the season. And I've been meaning to talk about Bregman. If I'm not even sure how many times I brought Bregman up since the season started, not often, I can tell you for sure. Uh, he's been quiet. He's been quiet. He's hitting just 253. Like I said, just two home runs. And the ground ball percentage is not bad uh, at all. 39%, which is still a little lower than average. But when you consider that last year uh, as a rookie, Bregman was an extreme fly ball hitter and hit uh, ground balls at just a 29% rate. That's a big difference. So clearly the power is just not there in the same way for Bregman. And I, I was a bit of a downer on Bregman on draft day. I didn't take him in any in any leagues. I talked about him as a potential bust uh, because of that high fly ball percentage. But it wasn't that I thought that he wasn't going to hit for power. I just thought he was going to have a not great average. You know, like right now, he's got 253 average. I thought maybe, you know, he'd hit around that, maybe even 240. But he's got that low batting average, and he doesn't even have the power to compensate for it. Now, is this still a, a small sample artifact? I mean, it very well could be. Um, you know, especially for a, a sophomore player, still, you know, adjusting to things. Uh, I, I think it certainly would be a, a horrible time to try to sell Bregman. Maybe a good time to try to buy, but uh, you know, I would, if I were buying Bregman, I would still be looking for a pretty serious discount because I would just worry that maybe uh, it's just a sophomore slump that could, could last for quite a while. Uh, Ledmus Diaz also has not really been himself in his second season, but he did go two for three on Sunday against the Giants with a pair of doubles, and he walked, uh, something that Diaz has not done much this year. But very, very alarming with him in, as well. His exit velocity is down almost four percentage points. I mean, that's an enormous change. So the power just hasn't been there. And I figured Diaz would see his batting average recede somewhat, maybe to the 270s, which, you know, there's still nothing wrong with, but that's not going to be an area where, you know, he's going to um, you know necessarily be a standout like he was close to being last year. But the, the absence of power, or relative absence of power, is very concerning for Diaz. And I'll admit, I mean, I actually thought about sitting him in the 15-team mixed Tout Wars League for this week. Uh, I didn't have, you know, a really great standout alternative, so I'll roll with Diaz one more week. But I have to admit, he's been a disappointment, and I, I would not want to be starting him in a 12-team mixed league at this point with all the, the talent, and particularly power, that there is at the shortstop position. So anyway, on that kind of down note, move on to the pitchers and, and uh, get upbeat again and start off by talking about Jake Arietta, who had a very nice start against the Brewers, just one run allowed over six innings, and it was an unearned run, five hits, just one walk and six strikeouts. So absolutely nothing to complain about there with that line from Jake Arietta. And I wrote about him in the Sunday streamers column this past weekend, Mostly in a positive vein, but the, the, the takeaway recommendation there was don't start against the Brewers because he has been allowing more fly balls, particularly on the sinker. The sinker has not been doing its job as well this year. Um, 
And I just thought, you know, against any other team, I'd be willing to roll with Arietta. And I'll talk specifically why in a moment. But I just thought, you know, this is if, – if you were going to be risk-averse with Arietta, the Brewers are the team you want to do that with because uh, they have – or at least uh, – I'm sure they still do. It's just one day later. They had a uh, home run to fly ball ratio against righties that was far, far greater than any other team in the majors. And given that Arietta's problem had been uh, allowing fly balls, that didn't seem like a good chance to take. Hopefully you didn't listen to me and you starred Jake Arietta. But um, even though he's not getting as many grounders on the sinker, when he is allowing fly balls, the exit velocity is one of the lowest in the majors, and the distance on the fly balls, on average, is among the lowest in the majors. So it's not the best version of Jake Arrieta, but it's a case of somebody who maybe doesn't have his best stuff so far this year and is, and is making the best out of what he does have. So certainly going forward, having passed that test, and even if he didn't, uh, Jake Arrieta is, 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 a must start, is a must start. Steven Strasburg, if you had any concerns about him, and I didn't have any, but I did find it curious that he only struck out 19 batters over his previous 24 and two-thirds innings uh, against the Braves. Granted, Braves are pretty good matchup in terms of strikeouts, but he absolutely aced that outing. Seven and two-thirds, 11 strikeouts, just one walk, and two runs on five hits. And the other notable thing from that start uh, or from that game, Nationals at Atlanta, was that was Coda Glover that got the save. He came in uh, directly in relief of Strasburg after Strasburg went seven and two thirds. Glover got the four out save. Now, Sean Kelly was unavailable and you could easily just kind of uh, just brush it off as just him being, you know, a a one day replacement. But here's what Dusty Baker said. Uh, to the Washington Post. Uh, I think that this is very, very interesting. Um, So Dusty Baker to the Washington Post said, a closer's got to throw three or four days in a row. A lot of it relies on Coda's health and he wants it. We're going to give it to him as long as he keeps doing the job. So to me, that sounds like Coda Glove is your new Washington Nationals closer. I know it's a fluid situation, but that, that quote was interesting. So anyway... Back to starting pitchers after the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Uh, we've got a few minutes left here to wrap up uh, some analysis of some pitcher performances from Sunday. And, of course, before the break, we had talked about Jake Arrieta and Steven Strasburg having uh, good starts. We talked about Coda Glover apparently uh, having the inside edge on saves now for the Nationals. Uh, let's get back to the starters, though. And the next three, to me, all fall in the category of you just can't figure out baseball. <laughs> Jaime Garcia against the Nationals, a team that has just been brutal to left-handed pitchers this year. He went eight innings against the Nationals and only gave up one earned run. Three runs total, got eight strikeouts, no walks, and seven hits. So that's just a great start for Jaime Garcia, who has had a very disappointing season so far. And as with the next two pitchers, I have absolutely no idea what to make of it. But again, that's just that's baseball sometimes. Clayton Richard 
uh, another lefty, gets the Diamondbacks, another team that uh, you know can can definitely uh, be trouble for uh, a, a non-elite starter. Uh, he had pitched a complete game with six strikeouts and no walks. So nice start there for Clayton Richard. And then Zach Godley pitching for the Diamondbacks against the Padres. So Godley, who's been getting swings and misses left and right against the team that loves to swing and miss, he got one strikeout in seven innings against the Padres. So he did make it seven innings. It was a good start overall, and yet still wind up feeling a little disappointed. As I mentioned earlier, Aaron Nola with a nice start at the Pirates. Uh, first start back from the DL. But for the Pirates, Chad Cool also. Five scoreless innings with five strikeouts, just one hit and two walks. He's got a 12% whiff rate this year, Chad Cool. I know he throws hard, but I have to admit that stat surprised me. Kind of snuck up on me, and I think there's some... Some sneaky strikeout potential there for Chad Cool, perhaps. Uh, Wade Miley, a nice start against Toronto, although only three strikeouts in seven innings. So again, sort of a bizarro start for Miley where he'll gets the one walk, but also only three strikeouts, sort of the reverse of what he's done all year. And in that same game, Marco Estrada got 12 strikeouts against the Orioles. But again, you know that uh, Estrada is somebody you want to have in the rotation pretty much uh, every uh, every week. Uh, Derek Holland, uh, also with a very nice start. He went uh, eight innings, just allowed one run on six hits and two walks and six strikeouts. And, you know, that's it points out the fact that the Mariners have turned out, at least so far, to be a really great matchup for left-handed pitchers. And especially somebody like Derek Holland, because they hit a lot of fly balls, but not with a lot of power. And Holland is a fly ball pitcher. You you probably couldn't ask for a much better matchup. And the results from Sunday certainly would go to uh, to demonstrate that. So um, that's something to you know look out for going you know, going forward. If you got a lefty facing the Mariners, and especially if it's a fly ball prone lefty, uh, could be a very very nice start for uh, for that pitcher. So uh, anyhow, that uh, pretty much wraps up the more notable pitching performances. I have one quick uh, news note to toss your way before we close things out here. Brandon Finnegan is going to throw off a mountain tomorrow. So it's the first uh, news that I've seen in a while on Brandon Finnegan. So, uh, you know, worth holding on to, particularly in those deeper leagues, uh, making some progress back from that uh, trapezius injury. So on that note, uh, I will be back on Thursday. And it is a Nando DeFino day. Nando's going to be with me the entire show. So really looking forward to that one. Please be sure to tune in. It should be a fun show. We'll have a lot of information for you. Thank you for tuning in today. Best of luck to you in week eight. Hope it all goes well and hope you enjoy the uh, night slate of games tonight. So have a great one. See you again on Thursday.